Would you turn there with me? But Ephesians chapter 2, Galatians 2. Cooper, do you mind if we got these lights oh, turn off? That'd be awesome. The central lights. Thank you, dude. All right, Ephesians 2, Galatians 2. Just want to say good morning. Good to see you guys. Uh, we're currently in a series called Real Talks. So I'm excited for today. Um, while you're turning there, let me just give you a quick couple announcements. Uh, first of all, next Sunday, next Sunday after church, um, we're going to have an Israel interest meeting. This has been a trip we've been planning for a while now and just haven't had a chance to uh, pull it off. Uh, but we're going to be going next October 2021. And we have already a crew coming, but we just figured it's a year away, so we'd announce it again. An Israel interest meeting will be next Sunday. You can go on our website under events, and um, you can just click on Israel interest meeting. It's going to be unbelievable, and I just want to mention that. Uh, also, just a random thing. Earlier this year, we got all this merch, but never did anything with it, really, because the pandemic hit. So we have a merch, and we like sweaters and long sleeves. And even though it's not cold, if you want a sweater long sleeve, uh, just know that the profits go to missions. And we thought we'd mention that because that's been sitting around for like a year. And we're like, oh, we could actually uh, pass it out. But anyways, Ephesians 2, Galatians 2. Do you mind if we got the house lights on, too, for the people and these uh, middle lights off? That'd be awesome. Thank you. Sorry. All right. Here's where we're at. Uh, we're doing a series called Real Talk, a biblical approach to tough conversations. Um, so far in the year 2020, uh, we've gone through the book of Jonah, we've gone through the book of Hebrews, and we went through that verse by verse and just wanted to kind of just search what God had for us this year. But we found it necessary for us to slow down and really kind of ask the question of, God, if you were to write us, the church here in South Florida, a letter, an epistle, what would you say to us? What would you want to bring up? Just like Paul always addressed different divisions or issues, or um, Paul would just speak specifically into that culture and time period. And that is really our hope for, for this. We want to close out this year by looking at the gospel and. So we've talked about the gospel and grief, the gospel and honor, the gospel and politics, the gospel and spiritual warfare. Today we'll be looking at the gospel and race. Uh, we've done the, we're going to be doing the gospel and unity, justice, sexuality. Uh, basically, I know, I know some of you have been loving this. You're kind of like, <laughs> how's just so I can get out of this one? Um, this has just been a fun series. Uh, honestly, it's been one of those things for us where we just want to go, Lord, speak to us. You know, move, move in this place. We just want to hear from you. We want you to speak directly to us and our church and our community. And what is it you want to do in our hearts? How do we give a biblical and really a gospel framework to the moment we're in, to the issues we're seeing in our day? And so today, as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at the gospel and race. Now, uh, just a couple ground rules or expectations I want to set for today and just some things I want to communicate before we get into the topic. Here, here's the first thing, guys. I'm not going to be able to cover everything, obviously, today. Like, we realize every single topic has deserved its own series, but at the same time, we need to slow down and address it. We can't just let this year go by and not address what's been happening. So I realize I'm not going to be able to, you know, share everything. Know that there's also a teaching coming up on the gospel and unity and the gospel and justice, and also ways which will frame kind of this conversation. So there's no way we're going to cover or tackle everything today. Keep that in mind. I also want to say, just have grace in this moment. Have grace for each other. Have grace for the climate we're in. Have grace for me as we just talk through some just, you know, a topic that's kind of filled with landmines, but it's also just incredibly necessary. And I just want to say, just let's have grace for each other in this moment as a church. Uh, kind of in a similar way, whether or not you feel like racism, discrimination, prejudice is an issue, I would just say at this moment, uh, we don't want to deny or diminish what's going on. We don't want to downplay what's going on. Um, we also want to fully embrace the moment we're in, and as the church, we want to do what Paul said, which is in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul said this, there should be no schism or no division in the body of Christ, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. 
we recognize this is a moment for us as a church to mourn with those who mourn. We recognize for us as a church, we need to grieve with those who grieve. And we can't downplay, this is not a time for conversations on, well, let's just look at the data, let's look at the stats. This is a time for us to say, um, when one part of the body of Christ hurts, we all hurt. Amen? So as we talk about this conversation, we want to kind of have that approach as well with it. Um, and by the way, I want to make this really clear as well. Um, when we talk about race, racism, prejudice, anything like that, this is not a political issue. This is a theological issue. Like, we've got to understand, we're talking about this topic. This is not some moral, this, this is a moral issue more than it's a political issue, of course. So I think when people get into this, like, hey, hey, I don't want this to sound political. How is this political? We're talking about image bearers of God here. We're talking about how we relate to God and how we relate to each other. That is a theological issue. You know, just like when it comes to the church talking about the, the issue of abortion, that's not a political issue. That's a theological issue. When we talk about racism, that is not a political issue. This is a theological issue, so keep that in mind. I'm going to reference his book again later and talk about it in a second, but just hear me out. Dr. Tony Evans said this. He says, it is my contention that the fundamental cause of racial problems in America lies squarely with the church's failure to, to come to grips with this issue from a biblical perspective. The failure we're seeing, he says, is the issues with the church coming at this topic from a biblical perspective. That is our hope, right? In this series, is to give a biblical framework, biblical language, a gospel-centered approach to this topic. That's our hope. There's a lot of different theories and ideas on this topic, but we want to put scripture and give a scriptural language. Amen? Um, I also want to be clear. I think that people, when it comes to this topic, maybe at times we want like an ambiguous approach to it. Like, hey, don't get too specific, Josiah. Don't get too detailed. Listen, here's the thing. We can't just be ambiguous about this. Um, Jesus gets specific. Je Jesus deals head on with racial issues. So does Paul and Peter. And we'll look at those texts in a second. But we can't be super ambiguous. We got to like realize even how this plagues all of us. You know, there's a saying, right? What do you call someone who lies? What do you call someone who lied one time? A liar. Hey, what do you call someone who's shown racial discrimination? My point is, we got to realize that the sin can lie in all of our hearts. It's not only these people or only this. we got to understand that this can plague all, all of us, that sin lies within all of our hearts. And the world's approach to changing the mind or educating the mind versus the gospel approach to changing the heart, we want to look at that and talk about that. And so we want to see how that plagues all of us. So, um, uh, and listen, I think in this process... We as the church, and I've actually, in my study of this, I fully believe that not we have the best solution, but we have the only solution to this problem. I mean, that's it. I mean, we truly have the only solution to deal with it comes to discrimination, prejudice, racism. I mean, we essentially have the only solution that before we can be, ever be reconciled to each other, we have to be reconciled to God. And so I think that the gospel offers the only solution. So as we try to make it conversation secondary or different topics, we got to realize this is the only solution, is the gospel of Jesus. And here's my point why I'm saying that. The church should be leading the way in this conversation. In many ways, I think because the church has taken a back seat or been afraid or maybe, you know, we don't want to ruffle too many feathers. or Don't you know this is when you hurt church attendance, when you talk about things like this? The point is we don't want to take a back seat to this. I think the church used to lead the way when it came to injustice in the world. We know that. We know that. And then I think sometimes we substitute it to others They've led the way in it, and then it's become something it's not supposed to be. We have a better approach to this. And I, I, I want to read something from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who said that, like, we're at a moment where we could be handing over um, uh, God's given right to the church to stand up for those who are oppressed, and if we miss it, others will take advantage and take control of that. And I want us to think about it in that way. Here's what N.T. Wright said. N.T. Wright is a pastor, one of the leading thinkers today in this moment for the Christian faith. And N.T. Wright wrote an article on this approach, and here's what he said. He says, rejecting racism and embracing the diversity of Jesus' family ought to be as obvious as praying the Lord's Prayer, celebrating the Eucharist, 
or reading the four Gospels. It just, it isn't just an extra rule we're supposed to keep. It is constitutive of who we are. Church, we hear that. This is not just an extra rule. This is who we are. This has to be a part of our conversation. And let me just be clear here. Um, I know that, like I said, this won't be able to, I won't be able to tra- tackle every angle, every perspective, or every topic that we could within this. I understand that in my life I have blind spots in it. My point, my heart in this is to go, here is a biblical framework, though. Here's what the gospel says. Here's what the word says. My job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So let's look at God's word, see what he says, and apply that in how we carried our lives. Amen? Two books I want to recommend, because I realize with this topic, this should be a whole couple months of series. So two books I want to recommend. One book that has been profound for me is a book called Oneness Embraced uh, by Dr. Tony Evans, Oneness Embraced. I think from my perspective and what I've read and seen, he has a really good theological approach and framework to this. He also knows, obviously, the history of our country and where we are at in this moment. And he's done a good job explaining that. Oneness Embraced, I think, is just, if you want some good biblical language, this is phenomenal. Um, I've been listening to him on the radio since I was a kid, and so I think I'm just familiar with this. Like, I can read the, the book and, like, hear his voice. If you know who, you know, if you heard his voice, like, oh, my gosh, it's so powerful. But this is a, this is a, a really good one. Uh, another book is called Insider Outsider uh, by Dr. Brian Lortz. Um, this book really challenged me, really stretched me. And it's one of those things like, I don't want to hear this, ooh, but I need to hear this. And I think the Lord, just, as he does that, just per- creates a lot of healing. So I'm giving you a couple recommendations if you want to continue to study, read up, li- listen to, dialogue with, have some good conversations. That's been very helpful. Also, today's going to be a little different. At the end, we're going to invite um, up two of our deacons, two of our appointed leaders, the followers of Jesus who are black and have really wrestled from this from their, their perspective. So we want to ask them and their insights on this moment. So here's a wrap. Um, our hope and our desire in this moment is Jesus give us grace for this conversation, for this topic, for this moment. God, give us language we can put to this, and we want to have a biblical perspective. Amen? All right, the teaching's over. God bless you guys. Thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> I wish. No, I'm kidding. Uh, let's do this. There's a lot of text we're going to be reading. Actually, a lot of Bible we're going to be reading today. So I'm just going to pray. So before we read, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into the Word. Cool? Sound good? Let's do it. Let's pray. <sighs> Father, um, we just want to invite you, your spirit, your, your son into this place. God, we thank you that you care for our cares. We thank you, God, that your word is timely. God, we thank you that your word is relevant, that, that you speak into this issue that's been in the church since its birth. And, and Jesus, I, I ask, I, I really ask that you would just make things clear, that God, you'd heal hearts that you would challenge, you'd convict, you would exhort, you'd rebuke, you'd lift up, but that Jesus, ultimately the focus would be on you. That Jesus, our eyes, this moment, our desire to see um, our, our country, us as individuals, as people, Lord, just healed in, the, in you, in the person of Jesus. So speak and be here, we ask, in your wonderful and precious name, amen. The gospel and race. Uh, more appropriately, I, I think you could title this, The Gospel and Racial Reconciliation. I think it's probably a better vantage point of what we'll be talking about today. And the Bible has a lot to say about this topic of reconciliation, which we'll, we'll get into. And I want to be really clear, too, by the way, that reconciliation is not the end goal. It's a means to the end goal. The end goal is the glory of Jesus, right? So as we talk about this topic of being reconciled to God and each other, that is, the, that is a means to a greater end. The greater end is us being with Jesus, knowing Jesus, functioning as the church. Now, when it comes to this topic, obviously a lot of stories, a lot of personal experiences form and shape us, form and shape who we are, form and shape our perspective on this. So I thought I'd briefly share a, 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 really a story that kind of shaped me and formed me and kind of even 
helped me feel the tension at a young age of the moment um, our, we're in, the moment I was in, and just kind of my revelation of what's been going on. So I've mentioned this before, but uh, at the age of 15, I tried out for a travel basketball team, really like influential part of my life. Um, I, you know, this huge tryout, like 100 people, like 12 guys made the squad, and I was a part of this team, and it was my first travel team. And I was the kid from Orange County, you know, I played at Calvary Chapel High in Southern California, and every guy on my team either played at Long Beach Poly, uh, Compton Centennial, Inglewood, or Jordan High. And those are some gnarly, gnarly schools. And when, I, when we got together, I mean, it was just kind of like an eye-opening experience for me. You know, I'm 15, and they have tattoos of their, their girlfriends on them, and their friends who they've lost. And I mean, half my team was uh, part of the blood gang. And it was just something that was like, I've just never, and I'm like, hey, I'm from Calvary. I don't know, it's just different. Um, and honestly, I'm so thankful for that. That was just a brotherhood, man, that the Lord really united. I mean, uh, there are so many conversations that came from that, so many moments that the Lord had to reveal and work on my heart. And I had to, you know, also just being a Christian, being a light, you know, to uh, just people who don't know Jesus. And so there's just a lot happening. And I remember there was a time where we went to Vegas for a basketball tournament. It was like a week-long getaway, um, and that, that was huge. You know, the night before we left for Vegas, we're staying at uh, someone's apartment in Compton, and that was my first time staying the night in Compton. It's just different. And I, I remember going out and like, hearing gunshots in the night. I'm like, okay, this is different. And then, you know, I remember we got on the road, and man, the Lord just opened up a lot of conversation. You know, imagine the topics, imagine the conversations. And, you know, we're just, you know, we're young, and we're, you're, we're young and dumb, but we're just having conversations, having topics. And it was so good. It was, it was necessary. But there was something that was really pivotal. So uh, our tournament was over. We were at one of the... Um, casinos. It's called Circus Circus. Maybe you've heard of it. But there's like a youth little area, like a youth, like teenage area, lots of games, lots of free things. And I remember like every teenager there because there's tons. I mean, this was like a nationwide basketball tournament. And uh, we're there and there's this, uh, there's like this, a lot of people walking around in their jerseys and their uniforms. And I remember I walked down one of the aisles and when the guy pulled me to the team, he goes, yeah, hey, come here. Hey, hey, Luke. They called me Luke because every white guy in the NBA was named Luke. Um, Luke Walton, Luke Renauer, Luke Jackson. I was, I was called Luke. So that was my name. Uh, I, don't think they knew my, I don't think they knew my real name. But they're like, hey, Luke, like for two years. Like, Luke, come here. I'm like, what's up? They're like, you don't walk down that aisle. I'm like, why? What's, what's up? Like, you don't, you don't walk down that aisle. You see that team? I'm like, yeah. Do I see who they are? I'm like, yeah. Like, we don't vibe with them. And, like, you don't do that. And it's just, it was a different race. So I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't, I didn't know that. Like, like you just don't, you don't do that. Like, we got you. We're all looking at you when you walk down, but we're, we don't walk down that. I'm like, okay. I'm just like, all right, that was interesting. As we're walking more through the casino, about four or five security guards come to us. And the whole night, we're just walking around, just like, like everyone else. And they go, hey, you come with us. And I'm like, what? And I just remember, like, hey, come with us. We're, we're, gonna, we're escorting you out of here. And I remember, like, like hey, you, you come, come on. And I remember going, hey, like, what do we do? Why are we, why are we getting escorted out of here? And they're like, we know what you're doing. You're just, you're messing around. You're causing trouble. And I'm like, I promise you we're walking and not causing trouble. Like, we're literally just walking. They're like, no, no, we're, we've been watching the cameras. You're, you're getting out of here. And I remember they, like, took us out of this back alley. And here's, like, 15-year-old Josiah. I'm like, you can't do this. I'm like, that's racist. And I just remember, like, honestly being so frustrated in that moment. And uh, we walked outside of the, from the casino. And I was, like, and I was, like, talking to them. I'm like, I was, like, heated up. And they're like, yeah, that happens all the time. I'm like, what are you talking about? And it's just one of those moments that created, like, this something for me that I just haven't experienced. I'm like, you have, this happens all the time? I'm like, yeah. This is like our, this is just what happens. We are walking around, we'll get asked to leave. And I'm like, they can't do that. They're like, I know. And I just remember like one of those moments, like 15, 16, I'm like, okay, Lord, what's going on here? See, here's the thing. I knew discrimination, prejudice, racism. Obviously, I know it's sinful. I know it's wrong. Like, we know that. There was no new information to me that day, but the information became new to me. That moment, even though I knew that, it became new. It became personal. People I loved, people I cared about, people who literally looked in the eyes and like, hey, Luke, we would die for you. And I'm like, I think you mean that. I mean, there was, there was just something where I, I was walking there going, but this isn't okay. 
So I'm bringing this up because we've all have moments and stories and narratives that shape us, shape who we are, and it's easy to diminish someone else's experience or story. We cannot do that. We're not going to do that. You know, I know that's not a big thing in the grand, like being kicked off a casino is not a big thing in the grand scheme of things, but just that moment, like that's not, that's not okay. And just from talking to them and listening to them, and I don't know what it's like to be walking through a department store and having someone follow me. I don't know what it's like to be walking down the street and have a lady clench her purse tighter. I don't know what it's like to be pulled over because I fit the profile. So like I, I had to listen and I had to just hear them. And you're kind of going, okay, like this is where we're at and we're still walking through this and still seeing this. And it's something that shaped me and formed me. And, and here's why I'm bringing this up today because I want to double down, man, on the gospel of Jesus because I truly believe with all of my heart, everyone wants to see this issue fixed, reconciled. But we all have different ways and different means to do that. And for me, the, the gospel of Jesus says that you will never see man reconciled to man unless man is first reconciled to God. And I really do believe the gospel of Jesus allows and gives us opportunity for healing that nothing else could do. But we want to, like, talk through this. We want to listen. We want to observe. So here's the thing. As I talk today about uh, race, ethnicity, I might use some of these terms interchangeably, and I, and I get it, and I know there's a difference, and here's kind of the main way you could say it's race has been, just been defined as, uh, is usually associated with the bio biology and linked with the physical characteristics such as skin color or hair texture, while ethnicity is linked with cultural expression and identification, uh, ethnicity being like maybe more of your culture, your music, your language, uh, your food, all of that. Now, I might use these terms a little bit interchangeably. Um, even when you read about race, sociologists and anthropologists, like there's so much disagreement even on like, you know, how many races are there? Is there three? Is there four? Is there five? Is there more than that? Is there one? There's a lot of different disagreements on that idea. Uh, I think there's a, an agreement overall that this is a social construct that man has created, but they also acknowledge that maybe there's different, obviously three or four or five or how many. The reason why I bring this up is what does the Bible say about race? Here's how the Bible describes it. Either the Bible refers to race either in one or two ways. Either it describes race as there's one one race or describes race as two races? Let me explain. The Bible describes race usually as one race and not in a childish or like little, like let me make this like super, you know, childish, but the Bible describes race as we all have one race, human race. The Bible has this theology on race called Imago Dei. And it is beautiful. Imago Dei just means we are in the image of God. The idea of race according to the scriptures is, listen, you and I, everyone around us has the same great, 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 great grandparents in Adam and Eve. That we all come from the same two people. And there's something so beautiful about that meta-narrative of life, that you and I truly have the same ultimate uh, parents behind us, that God has put all of the components and everything necessary in two people to carry out all the physical traits in the world. I mean, this is what uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made man and women in his own image. Imago Dei, the image of God. That gives everyone here this intrinsic value on their life that ultimately you and I have the same ancestors. And what a beautiful thing. I mean, that's an incredibly beautiful thing. Acts 17, 26 actually says this. It says, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. That you and I can trace our heritage to the same two people. What a beautiful thing. And we, I'll say this, though. Over time, obviously, alternative stories of origin got introduced. I know you've heard of the origin of species by, by Charles Darwin, but he actually later wrote a book after that called The Descent of Man. And in that book, he made a lot of terrible racial claims. His mi mindset from molecule to man and how basically we all essentially evolved from the, the ape prime-like subject. And he concluded in his book that those of color are more ape-like. 
and allowing incredible racism through the scientific worldview. And my, my hope in this moment of cancel culture is like, yo, so can we cancel out Charles Darwin now? Like, that'd be awesome. You know, but my thing is like that introduced, though, some, a terrible, terrible belief system that affirmed for some people beliefs, tried to make it scientific or academic, while the scriptures from the very beginning say, no, 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 you have the same grandparents. You come from one race. You know, I, I think this is so incredibly beautiful. I might have shared this before, but I remember being like a little kid growing up in the church. And my dad, I remember that conversation. My dad explained to me what racism was. My dad was just like, yeah, like, you know, I'm like, dad, what is racism? I heard this word. He's like, you know, well, certain people don't like certain people because of uh, color. And I remember as a little kid going, how can that be? Like, I remember saying, like, but isn't everyone made in God's image? He's like, yeah. So I'm like, how can one be better or worse? He's like, they can't. Why do we do that? Man's evil. The heart of man's, I just remember like, as a little kid, like this wasn't adding up to me. And I'm, I'm just bringing this up to say, it's such, a, it's such a wonderful worldview that we can introduce to everyone, anyone. Like we have the same two parents. We have the same origin. And there's something beautiful. So the Bible either describes race as like one race, or if it's going to describe two races, it describes it as Jew and Gentile. The only other option to you is you have Jews, and then you have Gentiles, everything else which we'll talk about. The Bible also talks about that. So that's the only way the Bible kind of introduces the idea of, of, of how many races are there, what are those races. It's either one or maybe two, the way the Bible describes it. So let's talk about this. So what, is, what does the Bible say? What does Paul say? What do we see in the scriptures? We're in Ephesians 2, and here's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at what's the problem and what's God's solution. That's it. Those are the two points for today. What's the problem? What was the problem in the early church? What were they dealing with? And then what was the solution that Paul offered? Now, let me say this, by the way. In Ephesians 2, uh, the primary part is in verse 11 uh, through 18, but we have to start in verse 1 through 10 because that just gives us the bigger context of what the problem is. All right, so let's read. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 1. We're looking at the first point today, which is what's the problem? Uh, ver verse 1, Ephesians 2, verse 1. It says, and you he made alive. Now, if you're the New King James or if you have a translation where it's in italics, no, that's not originally there. So I don't like this. I don't like it says you, he made alive. It just says in you. It doesn't say made alive. There's no good news here, by the way. Not in verse 1, not in verse 2, not in verse 3. I think it's very important. It just says you, you, what? Who were dead. Okay, the Bible's like, oh, that sounds tough. So like some, you know, people who are transcribing it, like, let's just throw that made alive. Nope, doesn't say that. And you, you, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. All right, the first three verses are pretty heavy. It's like you're sinners and you're dead in your sin. Everyone say amen. Amen. But verse 4 says what? But God. But God. We have to obviously like stop there. It's painting this terrible bleak picture. You're dead in your sins. You're far from God. You're, you're following the prince of the power of the air. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that of not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, his poetry, his poema, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared, hand, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, at another time, we're going to go 
greatly into depth in this. We've, we haven't ever really gone over Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 yet as a church in depth. We're going to go through that when we go through Ephesians. But here's the thing. A lot of times, most people, most churches will like read 1 through 10. I mean, this is the gospel. I mean, it is beautiful. But most of the time, we'll stop here. Most of the time, people will read 1 through 10 and be like, that's it. Here's the idea of 1 through 10. Man, you are far from God. You're cut off. You're dead in your sins. But God, who is rich in his mercy, because of the great love in which he had for you and for me, he saved us. For here by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works as anyone should boast. I mean, it is the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus. Like, it's not about pedigree. It's not about works. It's not about any of that. It's about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And then we end there. But here's the thing. This is saying, be reconciled to God. And now he's going to say, in light of that, be reconciled to each other. And verse 11 is so key because people stop at verse 10. But let's keep reading verse 11. Verse 11, therefore, in light of this, remember that since that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. All right, let's just stop there. Here's what he's saying. He goes, be reconciled to God. God paid it all. God paid for your sins. God who is rich in mercy. And he goes, in light of that, be reconciled to each other. And he's basically saying, listen, you need to be right with God vertically, and you need to be right with man horizontally. I mean, this is the two great commandments. We love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. I mean, the Bible is constantly painting this idea that if you're going to be reconciled to God, you have to be reconciled to the other. No one can say, I love God whom they've not seen and hate their brother whom they have seen. You just, you just can't do that. It's not an option. The Bible gives this very clear idea that if someone's going to be reconciled to God, they're going to love their enemies. They're going to bless those who curse them. They're going to pray for those who use them. There is going to be love for the enemy, love for the stranger, love for the other. And the Bible constantly introduces this idea of be horizontal, be reconciled to God, and, or vertical, and horizontal, be reconciled to one another. So here's why I'm saying this. What's the problem? What is the problem in this text? Well, the author says it clearly. If you would again look at verse 14, uh, we'll put up two translations up here. In verse 14, he talks about the middle wall of separation, or the ESV says, the dividing wall of hostility. He says, listen, be reconciled to God, be reconciled to each other, but here's the problem. There is this dividing wall of hostility. What is that dividing wall of hostility? He introduces this idea of the circumcision versus the uncircumcision. What does that mean? The circumcision, the Jews who believe in Jesus as the Messiah, as Savior. Awesome. They believe in Jesus as Savior. But now, the early church had different problems than we had, right? Here's one of the problems. The problem was like, okay, so now that Gentiles are getting saved, what do we do? Uh, do we make them become like Jewish in culture, tradition? Do we circumcise them? Do we, like, what do we do? And there was like a lot of debates going on, like how do we handle this? And then obviously the, the book of Acts kind of settles the problem. Like, no, no, it's about faith and belief in Jesus, not about that works. But here's the problem. There was still this dividing wall of hostility. This dividing wall of hostility is like this dividing wall of hatred, of anger, of contempt. What is that? There was this ethnic difference, this racial difference. There was prejudice. There was discrimination. There was the circumcised Jews going, we're truly, we got it right. And the Gentiles getting like, don't belittle us. And they were starting to be this hatred and bitterness for one another. And then Paul, who's writing to the Ephesians saying, Christ died to bring that dividing wall, that racial wall, that ethnic prejudice, whatever you want. To, that's what Christ died to tear that down. And so he's trying to realize and name the problem. The name of the problem was there was racial and ethnic prejudice against the other. There was this dividing wall. 
between them. Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans said this, our racial divide is a disease. Over-the-counter human remedies won't fix it. Listen, they merely mask the symptoms for a season. What we need is a prescription from the creator to destroy this cancer before it destroys us. When we get it right in a church house is when we can then spread it to the White House and beyond. Do you hear that? Amen? Like, yes? Because this is a disease that plagues all of us. And we're trying to fix the world before we fix ourselves. We're trying to fix the world before we allow really Jesus fix us and heal us. And there is this racial divide. And I, I want to point this out, this wall of hostility. Um, yes, you could say it's like, a, you know, a figurative wall of hostility that they built up one toward another, the circumcision versus the uncircumcision, this wall of hostility. But in many ways, I think Paul's actually referring to a literal wall. Like you got to understand, right, in the Jewish framework, the Jewish mindset, the Jewish temple that was still around when this was written, there were certain walls that built up at the temple to keep other people out or further from God. So, for example, put the image up here. Uh, there's four basically different areas for people to congregate around God's presence, the holy place, the holy of holies. Uh, the furthest court was called the court of Gentiles. That's a, you're a Gentile and you want to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, you can be there, but way over there. You're further away. Then there's the court of women. That's for Jewish women. They could be a little bit closer than at least Gentiles. Then there was the court of men. That was Jewish or Hebrew men. They could be, obviously, the next closest. The closest court to the Holy of Holies, to God's presence, uh, was the court of priests. And there's all these walls that were there saying, we're closer, you're further, you're further, you're further. And I, here's what I really believe. I believe Paul's referring to something physical and, and figurative. I think it's both. He's going, no, no, that dividing wall is torn down. See, in the gospel, there's not the court of Gentiles, court of women, court of Jews, court of priests. He goes, we're all priests. We're all one. The, the thing I wanted to see is there are walls. What's the problem, man? There are walls. There are walls here, literally, in their time period that people build up to go, we're in, you're out. We're on the inside, you're on the outside. We're better, you're worse. God has called us. God has chosen us. You're on the outside. There's walls we can pick up figuratively to, towards each other. Do you understand why God chose the Jews? God chose the Jewish nation to be a light to all the other nations. To go, wow, when they walk with God, they're blessed. When they don't walk with God, things happen. And they were like, really, you read like the story of the Old Testament was, God's like, I want all nations, all people to be saved. And God didn't elevate them so that they could feel better than the other nations. It was so they could draw all nations to himself. Whenever you see a call to worship in the Psalms, there's always this call to all the nations. For example, Psalm 117, uh, verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. There is this idea of like everyone. This is for everyone. The gospel's for everyone. Yes, I've called you, the, Jew, the Jewish nation, to be a light so everyone could be a part of this. And then eventually over time it became, well, you're not us. Or it became, we're the chosen, you're not. Now that we're believers in Jesus... I mean, we're doing it the right way with our culture, our traditions, and you're doing it the wrong way. And there's this ethnic and racial wall. There was this hostility to another. And we've got to identify the problem. And that is so important. And here's why I bring this up, man. The way the church started in the book of Acts 2 and how God dealt with this, we see the big change, the cataclysmic change in the book of Acts. Write this down. is Acts chapter 10. In Acts 10, the whole church changed. If you read Acts 1 through 9, the, the gospel is going to Jews. It's going to Samaria, but it's going to primarily Jewish believers. And then in Acts 10, what happens? The gospel is given to the Gentiles. If you remember, here's a story. Acts 10, Peter, he has this like vision, this trance. You know, he's really hungry, falls asleep, has a vision. I think it's kind of funny. He's hungry and has a vision of like animals. But anyways, there's like this big sheet in Acts 10. It says there's this big white sheet, and all these animals are falling into it. And he's like, what is that? And these are unkosher animals. I mean, they go against what we're allowed to eat according to our laws. And he's seeing all these things, and he's having these thoughts, and God says to him in this vision, what I have cleansed, men must not call common. And he wakes up from this vision. He's like, what's that about? Like, what was, that was a little weird, so I guess I can eat animals now. Um, he just had this vision, right? And this guy knocks on his door. 
And then it goes, hey, I've been sent here by Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. He's not a believer. He wants you to just explain to him the ways of God, the things of God, basically. He goes, that's crazy. I just had a vision. I think I'm supposed to go with you. So Peter meets Cornelius. And basically, he has this moment where now the gospel is being introduced to Gentiles for the first time. And here's what Peter said in Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 28. Peter says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation? But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. I want you to notice what Peter's saying about his cultural moment. He's going, "Um, me being here is not allowed. I'm not allowed to be with you in your home. This is not kosher. This is not a good thing. You're unclean. But God showed me like recently that I must not call common what God has cleansed. And then Peter makes this big statement in Acts 10, 34. Listen, Peter says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. This word, I, uh, no partiality, is this actual word, like, I, he says, I perceive that God shows no partiality, or really the word's like, no discrimination. And, and here's what Peter's saying. I realize at this moment, God is, is bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Like, this is not just, this is to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, also to the Gentile world. And if you remember in Acts 10, this is the first time it says the Holy Spirit fell upon these Gentile believers, and many people were saved. And this led to greater and greater revival amongst the Gentiles. And this is kind of the start of just the Jews and their customs and the, the Messiah being Jesus and the Messiah being a Jew. So now Gentiles believe they don't have that framework, they don't have the understanding. They just go, I believe on Jesus, man. He is risen. He is alive. And now there's these clash of cultures. You guys follow me? Is this making sense? Yes? And here's why I'm pointing all this out in this moment. Um, until you and I and everyone else really get the gospel deep into every fiber of our being, we're going to continue to build up more walls. Like until you and I really understand, grasp the gospel, until we get that Jesus died for them, not just you, Jesus died for that person. Jesus died for that group. Until we really get the gospel, not just up here, but deep into our heart, into every fiber of our being, we're going to continue to do what I think the early church did was they build up walls of hostility. They're going to continue this us versus them mentality. And we got to realize, and I, I, I'm asking you guys this, because have you, let me just take a second, have you built up a wall towards a person, towards a people group? Is there certain walls of hostility? Or maybe you look down, you demean, you think less of, you, you maybe stereotyped in your mind. You see, this was happening in the early church. There was racial walls. There was ethnic walls. There was these walls that are building up. Well, they're this way. The Gentiles, the Jews are this way. They were building up these walls in their heart. And, and Paul reminded them, God tore down those walls. We cannot live with these walls. See, and here's what we see right after this. Peter is used, man, to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. But later we find that old prejudices die hard. That old prejudices didn't go away that easily. Because we see Peter have an issue with the Gentiles. And this is what I want to look back into. Galatians chapter 2. Why don't you turn a page over to Galatians 2? Because I want you to see the context of the early church. Because it matters so much for our moment. But Galatians 2. Turn like a page over. Like humor me. I like to hear pages turn. Just like make your pages sound really loud. All right. Uh, Galatians 2. It's two pages. So it's not a lot. But Galatians 2. There is this moment where Peter is displaying racial and ethnic prejudice. And he gets called out. So Galatians chapter 2 verse 11. Let's read that. All right. Galatians 2. Verse 11, it says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, Paul's saying this, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. 
For before certain men came from James, uh, Peter would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as the Jews? Do you see this issue that's happening? Peter, Peter is in Antioch. I mean, there was just amazing revival taking place in Antioch. This was like eventually going to be the headquarters of the church. Antioch, Gentiles getting saved. Peter's there. He's seeing Gentiles get saved. He's eating with them. He's like, I like this. You know, Gentile food is different than my food. He's eating with them. He's enjoying fellowship with people who are different than him. This is great. But then the circumcision came. Jewish believers came from James, who was a leader in the early church. But they come, and Peter goes, oh, man, they're coming. They're not going to like this. So it says he withdrew himself and separated himself. Now, that might not even sound like a big deal, because you're going, he didn't say anything, right? He didn't say anything or didn't. He just tried to slip, slip out the back door. To Paul, this was a big deal. To Paul, this was a huge deal, because he's saying the gospel's on the line here. Like, how? Verse 14 really is the key of the text, and this is what I'll read. I'm going to read to you in the ESV version. It says in verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, here was the issue. The issue with Peter is, Peter, you know the gospel, man. The gospel is all. They're saved by grace through faith, not of works. So it doesn't matter what they eat. It doesn't matter if we used to call them unclean. It doesn't matter if we could never even share a loaf of bread with them. Now we can. It doesn't matter if they have different food. Different, like, we are all one in Christ. And so Paul is saying, but their conduct didn't display that. It was just a subtle thing. I'm just not going to eat with them. No one's going to notice. And he's like, no, can you imagine? Can you imagine being a believer who used to eat with Peter? Like, oh my gosh, I mean with Peter, someone who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, and like you're having fellowship with Jesus. And then as soon as you see the circumcision come in, you see Peter withdraw, and you're like, what's wrong? And it's probably just, it, you know, they're young, they're frail in their faith. They're just, they're growing in their faith. And they see this big spiritual leader pull back, and they're going, what has happened? This hurts. And Paul goes, no, this is not okay. Their conduct is not in line with the gospel. A lot of people do believe the right things about the gospel, but obviously our, their conduct does not always match that. That can be true for me and for you. We might believe and know the right things about the gospel. Does their conduct believe that? We might know Jesus loves everyone. We might know that Jesus loves the oppressed, the poor, the hurt, the broken. We might know that, but do our actions line up with that? Do our actions agree with that? And this is where Paul's getting so frustrated. I think this gospel is so beautiful because Paul, com the gospel compels us to do the hard thing. Paul's like, I confronted him to his face. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know, that's intimidating. P P I mean, these are like two spiritual giants, I don't know, just going out. And like, but this is one of the things where Paul's like, no, this is not okay. It's out of line with the gospel. You're a Jew, and you're, acting these, you're asking these Gentiles to live like Jews? When it's not even about that? You're not saved by your works, you're saved by grace through faith? And he, he has to speak out and, call, and speak into it. And here's, I want you to catch this. Notice it says um, some of them also played the part. Like, Barnabas was even carried away. Barnabas is known as the son of encourager. Barnabas was a really good guy. Barnabas was like the guy I want with me wherever I go. Just constantly, like, you're doing great, man. <laughs> Thank you, you're so refreshing. Barnabas is just a really good, encouraging guy. You see that in the early church. But even Barnabas is like, I, I'm not going to speak up. And for those of you who are maybe people pleasers or you're encouragers or you have that gift, which is a beautiful thing, thank you. We need those people more and more. But there can be a tendency to go, oh, I don't want to speak up. I don't want to challenge. I don't want to confront. I don't want to say the hard thing. Paul's like, I'll, I'll do it. I'll say the hard thing. And, and I want us to, to feel this because Paul goes, listen, no, no, Peter, it's not like, it's not you. It's not about you. It's not about you, Peter. The gospel's on the line here. How the gospel is it's carried out. The conduct of the gospel's on the line here. See, church, in this moment, what's the problem? I believe the gospel's on the line. Even just studying this, it's like this week. It's just like, what's on the line if we don't mourn with those who mourn? What's on the line if we don't weep with those who weep? What's on the line? The gospel is what he's saying. 
their conduct needs to be in line with their beliefs. And this is something where we have to just be really aware of. This was a problem in the early church. I would say this is a problem in America. This is a problem in the West. We can't just say, well, that's so long ago, Josiah. You know, you know, we, can't, we can't have that attitude. We have to see how it's still plaguing and affecting things. We still have to see what is the problem in this moment. David Platt, he's a really respected pastor um, from all different sorts of people. Here's what he said. He says, as a whole, listen, churches in America, instead of bringing the racial divide in our country, have historically widened and are currently widening the racial divide in our country. You hear that? He goes, as a whole, historically, and it's true. I mean, historically, he goes, we've either, we've created a gap or now we're currently still creating a gap. And you could say, how? And I would say, man, from my understanding, from just talking to different just men and women, talking to different brothers and sisters in Christ, um, just people who are different, people who think different, I just think they're going, why can't you just weep with us? Why can't you just grieve with us? Why is there so much, let's throw numbers and data and statistics out. Why can't the churches say, our heart grieves with you? And I just think the church can and at times is still widening the gap in this moment. So here's why I, I think this is important. What's the problem then? The problem then was a racial divide, an ethnic divide based off their beliefs. And, it, and, and Paul is basically saying, hey, do you know that Christ tore down the wall of hostility? Like that wall uh, might be for others, but not for us. And, and then Paul is saying that this is not okay. You know, so this week I was reading, um, I wanted to read this because I've only heard about it, but I haven't really read it. I read a letter from the Birmingham jail by, by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I read that letter, and it was, first of all, let me just say this. If you haven't read it, please read it. It was just, I couldn't believe how he's in prison quoting, you know, Tom, Thomas Akemvis, St. Augustine, you know, passage of scripture, Socrates. I mean, I'm like reading this, this guy, like, I need those books next to me. I can't just like quote him. He's just quoting this, brilliant. And as I'm reading it, here, here's the problem. Obviously, you know, Don, at that moment, at that time in Birmingham, Alabama, when he's in prison, when he's in jail, you know, he was arrested for essentially protesting. Um, and keep in mind that earlier in that time frame, the, there was a bomb that went off there. Uh, four little girls died. It was a terrible, tragic moment. There's eight pastors who wrote him a letter in the newspaper and basically said, this is not your fight. Why are you there? You're, you're supposed to be like in Georgia, basically. And you're, you're fighting something that's not your battle, and this fight is going to take a lot longer than you think. And they basically wrote this letter, and, and he, here's his letter of response back to them. And it, it was just so profound. And I showed this to a few people this week, man. As I was reading that letter, it was just the aroma of Christ. I couldn't believe how he's just calling things out. He's saying, now's the time, now's the moment. He's saying, like, stand up. All of, like, the, but just, like, also just gentle and loving. But also, like, no more. We can't take, and it was just, the way it was constructed, it felt like a Pauline epistle. You're reading it. There's just scriptures, exhortations. There's apologies from him. It it was the most humble, exhortive, rebuking type of thing I've read. I was like, this is profound. And here's what he said in this letter. Listen to this. He said about the church in his day, and this is late 1960s, he said, I must honestly reiterate that I have been disappointed with the church. I do not say this as one of those negative critics who can always find something wrong with the church. I say this as a minister of the gospel who loves the church, who has nurtured it in its bosom, who has been sustained by its spiritual blessings, and who will remain true to it as long as the cord of life uh, shall lengthen. Listen, and he said this, if today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authority, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. When I read that, I was like, this just felt so prophetic. 
He's saying, church, you are the ones historically, when babies were left out on rocks by the Roman law, the babies would be just left out to die, you were known for taking them and adopting them into your home. Like, you are known for seeing injustice and evil and stepping in. And he goes, and if you forfeit this, I lose that we're going we're gonna to miss out and, and lose our prophetic voice in our country, in our moment. We're just going to become a social club. We just, we just want to hear, you know, don't make me uncomfortable at church. Don't say the hard thing. And we're just become a social club rather than those who bring heaven to earth rather than those who participate in the kingdom. So here, here's why I'm saying this. I still think, obviously, we're seeing those effects this day. You know, in his letter, he talks about a guy named Elijah Muhammad, who was a part of like this Muslim brotherhood that eventually was trying to bring justice through violence. And he goes, I'm losing people to this because if, people, if you're not gonna join me, church, and he calls it, he really calls it the white church. He goes, if you're not gonna join me, church, he goes, we're gonna be losing brothers and sisters to wanting to fix the problem of justice through pain, through violence, and I'm trying to do it differently. Don't you wanna fight in this way? And I'm reading it going, Lord, please let us, if we, when we see this and how, when we see this, like, let us do this like Jesus would. And I believe that he did that like Jesus would. Just through loving protests, through prayer walks. He would go on prayer walks. When those, when his church was bombed and those people died, he's like, guys, we can't retaliate. We're going to pray. We're going to bless those who curse us. We're going to pray for those who use us. I mean, it was just the aroma of Christ. And I think the church has that opportunity to say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to be. We're going to be there. We're going to grieve with those who weep, grieve with those who grieve. We're going to listen. We're going to dialogue. And so here's my point. What is the problem? Well, we see the problem then and it's still today. There was this racial ethnic divide. And, and here's the point of the gospel. that goes, no, no, no. Jesus tore down that wall. Jesus tore down that wall. So a man says, we want to educate and change the mind. Because if we can just educate them enough and, and teach our theories on race, then there'll be change. And the Bible says, no, no, you can change the mind, but only Jesus can change the heart. And as Jesus changes the heart, watch the renewing of the mind. And it's just saying, Jesus, here I am, change my heart. You can, edu- you can have all the right information and know those things are wrong and believe that, but if Jesus doesn't change your heart, you will still display that and show that. And you said, Jesus, change my heart. So what's the solution? I think you know, it's the gospel, but let's read. All right, verse 13, Ephesians chapter 2, turn back to those two pages, verse 13. So what's the solution? What does Paul introduce? Ephesians 2, verse 13, here's what he says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of uh, commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father, the Trinity's there. He says, do you not see? You are once far off but you're brought near by the blood of Jesus. Listen to the language, how, how intense it is. He goes on to verse 14. It says, who has made both one, verse 15, to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. He's saying, you want to know the solution? Jesus took two and made it one. He tore down that wall, took Jew and Gentile, and says, you're now one. You're one new man. If you would, in the text, when he says one new man, uh, why don't you circle the word new? And Paul's very specific. There are two Greek words for the word new. I saw no one circle that. That's okay. I was actually hoping to, sorry. I'll keep going. But there's two words for new. There's neos and kainos. And, and, and here's, I probably said them wrong, but here's the idea. One neos was this. Something's new, like it's the new, latest, and greatest version. So the new iPhone 12, it's new. It's latest and greatest. But chaos was different. It's like new of its kind. So think, you know, uh, a brand new computer, a brand new car, a brand new phone. But then think like chaos is the car was invented. The computer was invented, right? Like it's something completely new is introduced to mankind. 
That's the word he's using. Something completely new is introduced to mankind. This one new man. That God is doing something completely different. It's not Jew and Gentile. It is one whole new thing, a new of its kind. Something completely different that God has taken the two and made one. That he's saying the solution is God tearing on the wall, making two one. And this is essentially what Paul would say in Galatians 3. I mean, it's one of the most profound verses, and please just listen to this. Galatians 3, verse 27. Paul said, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do we hear how profound this is? Paul, a Jewish man who was a a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he, just like every other good Jewish man, would pray in his day, I thank you, God, that I was not born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. This was a common Jewish prayer. Thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile. Okay. Thank you, God, I'm not a slave or a woman. You know what Paul's new prayers For you and I are all one in Christ Jesus. There is neither slave nor free, male nor female, Jew nor Greek, because we're all one in Christ. Paul's like basically play, playing off this prayer. He used to pray and says, no, 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 there's no more male nor female. There's no more Jew nor Greek. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Do we see that? Paul said, we have a whole new identity. Like we, you and I have a whole new identity. I'm not a Jew. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm a Jew. This is so profound for all of us if we get, what is our primary identity? My primary identity and your primary identity is you are a follower of Jesus. You believe in Jesus. You trust in Jesus. You know, I get this. I'm a follower of Jesus who is white. I think one of the best things a friend said to me this year goes, you know what God's teaching me in 2020? Is I'm a follower of Jesus who is black. I'm not a black follower of Jesus. He said that to me. He goes, I'm, he goes, I'm not a black Christian. I'm a, I'm a Christian who is black. That's my identity. I'm first a follower of Jesus. And can I, can I say this? The Bible doesn't downplay our race or tribe or tongue or people group. It's not like it negates that. Actually, in Revelation 7, it still honors that. In Revelation 7, listen to uh, how it's put. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude was in heaven, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What is this verse communicating to us? Well, in heaven, you're still you. That's not like God's like, okay, and you're going to become Jewish, or you're going to become, you're still you. I'm still me. All tribes, peoples, nations, tongues. The idea that communicates is our primary identity is, first of all, in Christ, absolutely. But it's not that, you know, when Jesus rose again, he was still himself, but just resurrected. Just eternal. Just better. Better version of, like, it's just the idea for you and I, like, we're still ourselves. The one God made. The Bible doesn't, like, downplay, like, oh, we don't see color. The Bible doesn't do that. Because, no, no, we still see that. We honor that. The way God made you is the way you're going to be in eternity. All nations, tribes, peoples, tongues but our primary identity is that you are one in Christ Jesus. We're all baptized in the same baptism. One God, one Father, one Spirit, one baptism. This is our primary identity now as followers of Jesus. Amen? That I'm a follower of Jesus who is white. I'm a follower of Jesus who works at church. First and foremost, I'm a follower of Jesus. This new identity, one in Christ. Now, all this to say, listen, Jesus modeled this so well. Jesus showed us what it's like to go. I'm going to break those social norms, those racial norms. I mean, one of my favorite stories is in John 4. Where Jesus, it says in John chapter 4, I think verse 3, it says, he, Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. And they're like, why go through Samaria? The, the cultural history and context and just the, the climate of that time was Samaritans were half-breeds. They're half-Jews, half-Assyrians that kind of bred together in the 7th century BC. And they, now you have the Samaritans and the Jews didn't like them and they didn't like the Jews. And 
And, and I love, because Jesus, obviously, we'll talk about this later, but Jesus, the whole, the whole good Samaritan, he makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. The point is, Jesus tried to just change people's, like, a racial understanding, like, no, no, the Samaritan's going to be the hero of the story. Uh, I'm going to go through Samaria, because I need to break some racial tension that's happening here. And so Jesus goes through Samaria, because you need to have this meeting with this woman, who's there at noon, the middle of the day, when no one should be there, when she probably wants to be away from people, and Jesus says to her, hey, give me a drink. What does that communicate? Give me a drink. Well, Jews and Gentiles didn't have any part. She goes, what are you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink? Because think about this. He goes, she goes, you have no cup to draw from. You're going to drink from my cup? You're going to touch something of mine? You're going to make yourself unclean for my stuff, like with my cup? She's like, I'm willing to do that. Think about the whole gospel. The gospel is Jesus became unclean so we could become clean. The gospel is that Jesus took on the sin of the world so we could take on his righteousness. Jesus is like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. If you knew who was asking you, you'd ask him for a drink. And there's this beautiful dialogue and exchange that's happening, and Jesus comes alongside her and even corrects her at a certain point. He goes, salvation's of the Jews. And he goes, listen, when it comes to God, that's where we're going to stop you. He found common ground, but when there was divided beliefs, he goes, let's just talk about God, who he is now. Then he speaks that prophetic word over her. I, I, you, you know, you have many husbands, all that just kind of interaction in John 7. It leads to this great revival where all the men of the city come out. They hear about Jesus. He stays there for two extra days, and many people are saved. And Jesus is showing us what it means to break social norms, uh, racial norms, eth- you know, ethnic norms. Going, I'm going I'm to transcend all of that. Because why? Because the gospel breaks down the dividing wall facility. Verse 16 actually summarizes the best. And if you would just read verse 16 one more time. Actually, I'll just put up here. This little phrase, or this verse. That he might reconcile them both to God in one body. How? Through the cross. Therefore, putting to death the enmity. So what's God's solution? Through the cross. I mean... It's a solution based on everything. Like, we got to, let's be honest here. Like, what was God's solution? Through the cross, he put to death enmity. I mean, the hatred that they had for each other, the enmity they had for each other, he says the, the cross, the symbol of hate, which is the cross, became the symbol of love. The symbol of, I literally, literally, you, you, you want to murder you, you want to crucify you, you want to just do terrible things to a person, that was the cross. And Jesus says, no, no, this now symbol will be now a symbol of love. And this is the whole idea, through the cross. How does God reconcile us through the cross? Listen, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation to reconcile the world to God. That is our main goal. 2 Corinthians 5.18, that God has given all of us, not me, my job to equip you for that ministry. Your job is the ministry of reconciliation. I guess my job too, but I'm more of the equipper, all right? Like, honestly, you have a greater role. I really believe that. I'm here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? The work of the ministry is reconciling the world to God. And so we have this role to reconcile the world to God. And here's what the world's crying out for. We need to see peace. There's a lack of peace. What does it say here? Through whom? Jesus, our peace. We need to tear down these racial walls. How do we do that? The cross. People want to be reconciled to each other, but they can never be reconciled until they're reconciled to God. And so here's the thing. I want to see racial reconciliation. We want to fight for that. But know what? We first need to see people reconciled to God because then their heart is tender and ready to reconcile to another. Because God's not just trying to change their mind, but change their heart. Amen, church? And so let's, let's join God in this ministry of reconciliation to reconcile the world to God. Because as a reconciled to God, watch God now say, now be reconciled to your brother. You have the same parents. <laughs> you know, in Adam all died, but in Christ all made alive. And now you have the same heavenly father. You have the same Jesus, same spirit, same baptism. And we have so much more in common than we do different as followers of Jesus. So I just want to leave with some action points. And I'm going to invite some guys up here. Let me just, some, some action points. What can we do? A couple of no-brainers, right? What can we do? Listen, church, we need to listen. We need to listen. That might mean you're getting involved in community. That means you're part of a community group. Your group will hopefully be diverse, look different. You're, you're going to have people over for food, dinner, talking. 
Uh, that means you're going to pray with other people. Listen, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man reveals much. Like there's something about prayer when you go, I need to hear them pray. That was beautiful. Lord, yes, amen. Do that. Do that in our church. We need to pray together, break down those walls. Uh, we need to grieve with others. We need to grieve with others, the church. We did a whole sermon on that, so I'm not going to get into that, but we need to grieve with others. We need to love. We need to love tangibly. We need to love like Christ. We need to love those who hate us. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We need to love in that moment. And I would say just being diverse and inclusive community centered on the person of Jesus. Being community that's centered on Jesus, it's diverse and it's inclusive. And saying, like, you have a role in it, speak into it, want to hear from you, want to listen. You know, um, there's a pastor named Ch uh, Pastor Charles Dates, and he was asked, like, what can the church do? He says, listen, believers of colors, believers of color want their brothers and sisters to call out the injustices around them. They want to stand in unity, rebuking a wayward culture. So this, this is like a quick request. Just join us and just, call. if something's evil, call it evil. If something's good, call it good. And, and, and I love this idea because here, here's the thing, guys. The world's um, hope for change is so bleak. It's like there's no end. When you study different theories they have on race and racism, and you, you go, what is the hope? Just educate and maybe get some legislation differences, but the heart of man is still wicked above all. We can't really solve that problem. And it just seems so bleak when you read it. I always feel so overwhelmed. And there is a missiologist named uh, Leslie Newbegin, and he was asked this question just kind of about the world. Like, man, what's your perspective on the world? I mean, are you optimist? Are you pessimist? And here's what he said back. Uh, his response is, I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. I love that answer. Man, like, do you think we'll ever fix this problem? I don't know. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. All things are possible. <laughs> you know, like, there's just this, this side of it. It's like, I'm not about an optimist. Like, I'm not optimist. I'm not pessimist. And it's not like a realist. It's going, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. I don't know. That means miracles can happen. That means God can take dead things and make them alive. I mean, that means God can accomplish his will beyond ways I ever could have imagined. But it's only going to be through the gospel of Jesus. It's only going to be through the resurrection of Jesus. So listen, I'm going to invite up two guys who are appointed leaders in our church, who you know well, who we love, who they're example of Christ. We went through this last year when we had like the whole deacon um, implementation, and they went through a process. And even about that, just their life's on their example of followers of Jesus is worthy of following. So I'm going to invite Quentin and Silver up here, and we're just have a little conversation for a few minutes. So would you get up for Quentin and Silver? You guys can do that. Come on. Your stool's in the mic's there. Since it's taken a minute, let's get up for Silver and Quentin again. Why don't we just do that? Yeah. <laughs> So, I, you know, I shared this in the very beginning, and I want to kind of, you know, share this again. My hope is to present a biblical and gospel-centered framework, but knowing that in 45 minutes, I'm not going to be able to completely do that. <laughs> know that there will be limitations for me and my perspective. And just acknowledge that you guys are, you know, followers of Jesus who we look up to, who we honor. You lead your family well. You lead others well. And we want to hear your perspective as, as followers of Jesus um, who are first and primary, as we talked about, followers of Jesus, Christians, who are black in 2020 and what you've had to walk through. And we just want to give you space to say, what is, what is the, like that word for us, for our church, even as we navigate this? Or we, we feel the tension of, I don't want to talk about this. I don't, want to, I don't even want to give attention to this, but obviously the scriptures give attention to this. And so we're going to give attention to this. So just, Quentin, will you just start us off, man, just kind of your perspective at this point, some of the things you walked through and what the Lord has done? Uh, yeah, so I, have a, I came prepared with a couple of stories. The first one is not even mine, it's Kayla's. Um, early on when our kids were... I mean, they were too young to remember, and I, I don't even think our daughter was born yet. Uh, Kayla was at the grocery store just, you know, doing everyday things, living living our best life, right, buying toilet paper. Uh, and uh, an older guy walks up to her, and he, he just, he had three questions for her. They were kind of pointed, and it was kind of a mic drop thing. You know, he just said what he had to say, and he, he moved on. Uh, the first question was, um, do these kids even know 
uh, or I'm sorry, um, are, th are these children, do they have the same father? The second question was, do they even know who their father is? And then the third question was, does he even have a job? And Kayla's response was just stunned silence as he walks away from her. Um, and then just a couple years ago, right before we moved to Charlotte, uh, right before we moved from Charlotte, um, I was having a Bible study with a group of guys from work. We're just having, you know, a lunchtime thing. And one of the guys looks at me and he's, or he doesn't look at me specifically, but he just says an off-color comment to the group. I'll be damned before my daughter ever brings home a black man. And I mean, you know, there's 12 guys here in this group uh, and just stunned silence again, you know, uh, before the man for your daughter is following Christ, before he has a job, before he's addicted to crack cocaine, before he's, you know, not going to beat the dog out of her, just let him not be black was his only request. And like any normal person, extreme anger in both his moments, extreme pain, extreme frustration, I mean, a, a plethora of thoughts, I'm sure. And I can't even, you know, imagine all of that at once, but yeah. how did you process that? And what did, what did the Lord reveal or do in that moment? Or, or did it take months or years? How did, how did you walk through that? So, so Kayla's is a little different. The, the guy said what he had to say, and then he just kind of moved on. So I would encourage you to talk to Kayla about that. Um, she shared her day with me through tears. Um, for me, on the other hand, a little bit different. I felt a lot of betrayal. I mean, this is a guy that I'd worked with for years. Had I had he not spoke in that moment on that day, I'd have never known what was going on in between his ears. You know, that somebody that looks different, probably acts different, talks differently. Um, he thinks less than. Um, so that that was a big time shock for me. Um, the processing that, uh, we are walking that out now. I'm walking that out. Um, I love where you went with uh, with Peter, right? Jesus has already died and has been risen from the dead, um, and uh, and Peter has been with him, right? Peter is the rock that we will build this church on, and and Jesus points to Peter many times, but Peter still had this thing; he still had this plank in his eye, right? And I guess that's my prayer. That's my heart with that. You know, reveal to me my own plank. You know, and then. God, give me grace. Give me grace for others that that are walking this out. Uh, forgiveness is forgiveness is a work in progress. Like, I mean, this is only a couple years ago, but I still remember that. You asked, share a story. I got one. <laughs> it's you know forefront of my mind. Uh, but but yeah. No, thank you. I mean, and I think it's I think it's good for everyone here. Is like we're we're obviously humans who it hurts. There's pain. We can't just like pretend like, I just forgive you. Like it, it, there's a cost to it, right? And I, I think there's a side of forgiveness where you have to eat the cost, which is hard. I have to eat the cost. Someone wrongs me. You, in a sense, take that. <laughs> and I think we're learning as the gospels, we press into it more and more, is Jesus took that debt. And it's almost that mindset of how do we, how do we get to the place like Jesus where he said, Father, forgive them. They know what they're doing. And how do we get to that place? And like that is that work in progress. And Lord, I want to mentally, spiritually, emotionally be in that free place. Forgive them. They know what they're doing. Um, and like you said, that grace, I think, is just so, so profound in that process for the others. But it's not diminishing the pain of it. But I think my hope for, you know, I guess, is there something you'd like to, just that, I guess, prophetic word for our church, kind of going, okay. And, and so in light of this, where we're at, here I am now. Church, here's what I want to call us to. Yeah, so uh, the, probably the biggest point I want to take away or mostly equip our house with, right, our church, our people, right, um, that 
one, you know, if you find yourself amongst a people group that looks a lot like you, um, I would encourage you to, to be intentional about honoring and getting in the circles of others. Um, uh, if, you're all, if your only encounter with someone that looks different from you is you're in the role of helper, I want to challenge you in that because that's not an authentic relationship. It's not. I mean, I want to know their middle name. I want to know their birth date, right? I want to get a text from them on my birth date, you know, or a message. And I want to sit down and have, have a meal and break bread with them. Um, and I want to be honoring when they're telling their story. It's not me looking for attention or, you know, or whatever. I just, you know, I, I just want them to know me. I want them to know my heart and vice versa. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm reminded, I think we talked about this the other day. I'm reminded of, you know, of David and the, the kind of the things that he went through with Saul. He was always honoring Saul. Even though Saul was not always honoring David, David was always honoring Saul. I will not say, I will not put a hand on God's anointed. This body, this church, these people, we are God's anointed. We are God's called. And when we're attempting or we're, when we're working on this, when we're working on ourselves and we're, when we're working on each other, you know, it's not, I'm going to make you think like I do. You know, I'm, I'm just going to call attention to the things that I see yeah. with honor, with love, with grace. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it's up to God to change your heart. But I want to do that with honor. That's really good. And obviously, Paul and Peter did that. And Peter received it. And notice, I, I didn't get a chance to even mention this, but it's in our cancel culture, Peter would have been canceled. But he still the books yep. of the Bible to write, and God still used it. Not, I'm not, it's not excusing that it's okay. It's just saying the gospel challenges you to confront and to show crazy grace, grace that's beyond me. And I'm just saying, you know, at the end of the day, everyone wants justice, and we'll talk about this on justice, but honestly, when I stand before God, I don't want justice. When I stand before God, I, I'm re- I want mercy and grace, which we'll re- we've received through the person of Jesus. But I just appreciate your perspective of that. Thank you, man. Silverman, how about you, just as far as that eternal perspective as a follower of Jesus and walking through this moment and I know we talked before, but like, how do you how do you walk in this moment right now? Yeah, for me, um, when I think about an eternal perspective, and I think about um, the church and us as followers of Christ, I think the first thing that we have to, you know, understand the simple truth that we are eternal beings, right? Um, that we were made in the image of God, and that we were fashioned in His likeness. Um, so that means we all have inherent purpose, we have inherent meaning, we have inherent value. Right. And so when we look at the world, when we look at people, when I look at all of you guys, we're all equal under God. Right. Um, I think that's first and foremost. Um, But then for the Christian. Right. For the person who identifies as a follower of Christ, it takes a step further. It's the next step is this, that now I do not identify myself first as a black man or as a mixed man. Um, I don't identify myself from um, the place that I work, my occupation. Um, I don't identify myself based off of where I'm from. Um, my identity is rooted in Christ, a follower of Christ, a citizen of heaven, um, a royal priesthood, right? Um, sons and daughters of God is who we are, and that's where our identity first lies in, right? Um, and going from there, so that what, what does that mean? What does that imply? Um, well, I'm not going to take the side of a black person. I'm not going to take the side of a white person. I'm not going to take a, a political party side. I'm not going to take the side of a cop or fill in the blank. I'm gonna take the side of Christ. I'm gonna take the side of justice, right? And so what does that mean? If, if a cop, right, if a cop has been illegitimately treated, right, by anybody, and I, I need to have an outcry for that. I need to have a cry for justice. And if a black person, right, is illegitimately treated by a cop, right? So this is a specific aspect for our society and right now in general and what's, what's hyped up today, right? If a cop has illegitimately treated a black person, 
we cannot have cops or people or anybody have affiliations with anybody. If, if, if they're affiliated with Christ first, they need to call that out too, just as they would call out any other injustice, right? So no matter where you're from, no matter who you are, we can't have, we can't let the pride of who we are affiliated with earthly things, right? So I can't have my affiliation come from an earthly standpoint if I, in fact, am from Christ, right? If I'm in Christ. And that has to be my first and foremost affiliation. And so if I identify myself as a follower of Christ, if I identify myself as a child of God, what does that mean? That means I'm going to love like he loved, right? If I have an enemy, I'm going to pray for them, right? If I'm fearful, I'm going to submit to God. I'm going to rest in the beauty and glory of who he is, right? And, and now let's take that a step further, right? The book of Jeremiah says this, to do justice and to do righteousness. And what does that mean? The, Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah says this, that to do those things is to know God, right? And so when we are identified with Christ, we now know him more. We, his, his thoughts become our thoughts. His ways become our ways. His heart becomes our heart, right? We grow more inclined to his ways. And so we're going to seek that justice. We're going to seek that injustice, right? We're going to pursue those things because we are affiliated with Christ first and foremost. We're not swayed by the ways of the world, right? We are in the world, but we're not of it. And so despite whatever is happening, we have to make sure we do that. And just like a last thought, you know, for us at the church, you know, um, we, we like to take those sides. We like to jump back and forth. We like to have our affiliations of earth lead us in any type of way. Um, but I want to talk about the fact of social justice in, in one sense, right? Um, when we look at the world, when we look at the people that is right next to us, right, if we care so deeply about social justice, if we care so deeply about the now, right, and we don't tell someone about Christ, we don't tell someone about the gospel, when was the last time we told people about the gospel, right? When was the last time we proclaimed that? Do we truly care about the now if we don't care about the eternity? Like, people, people are falling away from God. That's hell, right? That's eternal damnation. That's worse than anything that could happen right now. So if we truly care for the things of this life, if we truly care for people right now and people's hearts and people's souls, we're going to tell them about Christ. And that goes back to the point about what you were saying about ultimately the gospel fixes all these things. We have to walk our lives in a gospel lens. And um, anything else apart from that is it's just illegitimate. We have to be that, be that first. Dude, that's a good word. No, thank you. No, it's, no, it's so, I don't know if we talk about this. The gospel cares about the body and the spirit. Like, Jesus, obviously, and I think what you're saying is like both matter, but at the same time, if we're caring for someone's body, we see someone's life improve, yet their soul's lost. So I, I agree, but then at the same time, it doesn't mean we diminish, diminish that their body has needs or the person has needs or there's something injustice, you know, that we should stand up for. And the gospel tre treats both, but with the primary perspective of, um, what if someone's life improves, but they still lose their soul, which you're bringing up, which is good. And I, I love, man, just the thought of just not picking and choosing justice. As a Christian, we got to call good, good, and call evil, evil. And it's not picking and choosing, well, I want to pick this, this is now good, so this, I'll call this good. This is now, we, we can't pick and choose. If it's evil, it's evil. If it's right, it's right. But I, I appreciate that perspective. Listen, obviously, this is not enough. We're trying to pray, and I'm trying to pray in process, like, what else? Like, how does this conversation keep going? All these topics. I'm like, all right, guys, gospel and politics. And then we're like, see you next week. You know, we realize that these, there's, so, there's multi-layered, multifaceted, and we want to uh, do our best to give a framework scripturally. But we know this will take time, and we're trying to work at our salvation with fear and trembling. And we want to give space and time for the Spirit to move. So, um, church, I want to do this. Listen, we just want to pray and give space for the Spirit to move. We want to ask what these guys shared. Have people over for a meal. You know, have dialogue. Get to know their name. Get to know their story. Listen well. Let's be in community well. We're hitting that holiday season. Um, 
invite people over, you know, have people over at your house. Um, just make, mix it up. How do we be the hands and feet of Jesus to our community and really to the bride of Christ, our church first and foremost, and then our community? So let's just, I just want to pray over you guys. Can we do this? Can we just stand and just close out a little bit differently by praying just over this moment, praying over what's happening, and um, just kind of going out in the power of the Spirit? So Q, Q Quentin, would you pray for us, man? Yeah, sure. Um, Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you so much just for who you are, Lord God. Um, thank you for this house. Thank you for, gosh, this this message, this message series is so bold. It's so necessary, Lord God. So we just ask and we thank, we're so thankful that the Holy Spirit is just having his way in this house. Having his way. We thank you, Lord God, uh, that you are working in us. You're working on us, Lord God. Remove the plank from our own eye, Lord God. Open our eyes to what's going on in our hearts, Lord God. And get, fill us with courage uh, to speak. Uh, when the time is right, Lord God, fill us with love, fill us with your grace. We thank you again, Lord God, just for just for who you are and what you're doing in us, what you're doing to us, what you're doing through us, Lord God. Uh, we just um, lift up this house, lift up this community, lift up this city, lift up each and every person that's come to hear this word today. We love you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Listen, guys, we love you. Be a part of groups. A couple more weeks till Thanksgiving and holiday season. I know things get busy, but I'm looking forward to the conversations, all that the Lord's going to do through this. Listen, we love you guys. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, and be gracious unto you. God bless you guys. See you in groups. Bye.